And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. Recession, downturn, banks collapsing, VCs drying up. What's going well for startups raising capital? Not much in early 2023, and that's what we're going to talk about and how to raise money during a downturn. Before I introduce today's guest, I'm going to remind you that today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult, and Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Go to Fullscale.io to learn more. If you weren't aware, that's my business, and we love talking to Startup Hustle listeners. And seriously, it only takes like two minutes to fill out that form, so head on on over and tell us what you need help with. With me today, I've got Julie Gianfrido, and Julie is the Director of Advisory Services at, I'm going to, I'm hoping I get this firm's name right, because it's tricky, Fiendella, Mylone, and La Saracena, and they specialize in accounting and a whole lot of other stuff. Also in the show notes with the fullscale.io link is a link to FML CPAs. And you can use that acronym for whatever you want.com, right? Uh, it's down there in the show notes, uh, straight out of Glastonbury, Connecticut, where it is beautiful in the spring every year, I'm told. Julie, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thanks, Matt. Great to be here. Yeah, you know, let's get our conversation started with a little bit about your backstory and, uh, and well, FML. That's a great. That's I feel that's kind of what I say right before I talk to my accountant. So I feel like the <laughs> firm's well named. Great. So I think FML was founded twenty years ago. So pre the acronym FML, Fandela, uh, <laughs> Mylone, and La Saracena. They're an entrepreneurial uh, accounting firm and started. Uh, the three of those founding partners, they do um, tax work, they do audit work, and in the middle, we do advisory and consulting work, and, and that's where I fit in. So you work with clients to help them improve their financial condition or prepare for a capital raise or all of that? All, all of that, all of that. So, you know, a lot of times I'll get referred clients from our tax group from our um, kind of audit clients. They could be um, companies that, you know, have gotten grant money or are having some, some work done by our team on their grants. But really, they're, they're companies that are convertible note, seed stage companies looking to raise capital, probably have a pitch deck ready to go, need some advice. Maybe they've raised, you know, some friends and family um, early in a convertible note, they're looking to round that out and they're looking for additional sources of capital. So uh, a lot of times that's where I come in and help them um, with the strategy, structure their deck, answer investor questions um, and access some of that capital. And really that's through network and introductions, not, not as a placement agent or anything like that. 
So when it comes to raising, let, before we get into even doing raising money in a downturn, I, let's just take a couple minutes and like, I've, I, you know, this has been such a popular subject on Startup Hustle and over close to 1100, maybe even 1100 episodes at this point. And, you know, so, so first off, if you want, if you want a lot of context, there's a lot of shows in the feed as well. And we'll, and we're going to talk about some of the same stuff, but I always like to get into some of the things I always like to ask any, anybody I'm talking to, uh, to on this subject, like when you look at a company or a startup or anyone that's getting ready to raise money, what are some of the common things that you see people doing wrong? Doing wrong. Hmm. Sure. Um, you know, I think everyone has their own way of going about doing things, right? So you certainly need a deck that deck needs to be well organized. It needs to be researched and thorough. Um, it needs to answer investor questions and it needs to present the market opportunity. Um, so, you know, those are some of the things you could do right. And hopefully you can, can check those boxes. Um, I think you need to be very prepared for investor conversations. I think you need to do your outreach in a way that makes sense, right? Before perhaps going out to angel groups, you should get your friends and family capital in. Um, it's always great to have a strategic investor who believes in you and understands your space in the market. So, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily what you've done wrong. It's like, are you prepared and are you doing things in the right order and in the right way to bring that capital in? I think, well, it's, I've got a few things, lack of preparation. It's a big one, you know, like, um, I think a misunderstanding of how the process works is another thing I see a lot. Uh, so, and I like to clarify this with people, especially if you're aiming for institutional capital is it doesn't happen quickly. And, uh, as an accountant and a financial advisor, I'm sure you've seen, um, we, we were, before we hit record, Julie and I were, were reminiscing about how experienced we are, not old, how experienced we are. But with that, you, I guarantee you that you, I, mean, I, I, well, I don't want to I don't like making guarantees, but my bet would be that you've probably seen people wait too long to raise capital. And that's a common error, um, you know, with institutional money. I mean, you're looking at usually like a six to nine month turnaround. If you're getting it going pretty well, a lot of people will tell you four to six months often just for a yes or a no. And then when it comes to like presentation materials, uh, first off, simplify them, you know, like you don't you don't get the deal in the pitch deck. You get the deal because of your way of showing your passion and problem solving. And, you know, some of the things that are in there is, is remember your investors care about a return on their money. They care about the market that you can address. They care about your growth potential. And then most importantly, they care about the founders. And I ask everyone, you know, like, you know, would you rather people that write checks? I say, would you rather do you bet on, you get pick one bet on the jockey or the horse? And they always pick the jockey, meaning like investors invest in founders. So be prepared to talk about your strengths and the strength of your team. And then the last thing is, is I think people often want to move away from the discussion of what they're not good at. I recommend that you get right into that. Because that's why you need the money. That's why you need the help. I think it shows a level of sophistication, maturity, and self-awareness about yourself, not only as an entrepreneur, but yourself as a business. If you can identify what you need help with and say, hey, this is our, our plan to fix it. So uh, just understand that 
if you're chasing big checks and big money, you're probably going to be talking to sophisticated people that are going to put you through a due diligence process and they're going to figure out what you're not good at. So you might as well just get it out there. Um, so yeah, so that's a few things. Now, um, when we talk about raising during a downturn, I mean, what, what's, what comments, do, I mean, what, what do you, how does that change things for yeah, those so, seeking capital? Sure. So you, you noted time frame, right? So it's definitely going to take longer during the downturn. And, you know, when you, when you talk about four to six months in, in the good times, it's not your first contact in the first four to six months there. I think, you know, as a, as a really smart founder or entrepreneur, you've been tracking the space, you've been tracking the investors in the space. Maybe you've established some relationships before you've established this business so that when you do want to raise capital, you've got your, your sights set on um, certain investors and certain perhaps strategics that you've built relationships with along the way. Um, so I think that that time frame gets extended and those relationships become even more important during a downturn. And, and Matt, you hit on a whole bunch of things, right? Let's Let's simplify the deck. What are you not good at? What are, what are perhaps the holes, right? So those things are going to be worse in a downturn, right? Can you attract strategic advisors to fill those holes? Um, what's your cash burn? Are you, are you really kind of, do you have an extended runway or do you have a very short time frame in, in a bad economy, right? Th those are two things you don't want to have and, and have you address them or, have you um, built the business to, to withstand kind of this, this, this cycle that we're in now? Just, just a bunch of questions, I think, right now right. Um, for companies. Well, but, but being aware of that stuff, is, I think, is important. And you, know, you talk about, all right, so I look at my business full scale, which is a profitable company with a lot of growth potential. We're at a very scalable point. It would be a really good time for me to raise money right now. Because I'm not sitting on top of a cash inferno, yeah. And it was—it's funny because three years ago, when everyone was just throwing money at anything enterprise software, I couldn't get anybody to even talk to me about the business. They're like, "This is a—we don't invest in service companies." Now we built some tech, and we actually changed our category. We're tech-enabled services, yeah. but it is amazing over the last year how many people have called, reached out and show interest because, you know, like I said, your things change. So mm -hmm. if you raised money, if you tried raising money before, maybe that wasn't the right thing for you or just didn't feel like the right time. I mean, maybe it's different now. I think, and, and you know, the thing that kind of blows me away is that investment, like investors and like a lot of, a lot of just institutions seem to become more obsessed with other things than profitability. And eventually a business has to make money. You can't just rely on burn and investment coming in. You see that, you know, you see that this some drastic shifts. You look at like Uber, which I hate it when they call Uber a startup still. When your name when the name of your company has become a verb, <laughs> you are not a startup. But you know, they got they kind of got forced into rapidly moving towards profitability because they were burning cash because they were so obsessed with growth and they had to really make some tough decisions and change a lot of stuff and, and get lean and, you know, and, and, you know, but 
you know, when we talk about like the focus on profitability, how, how much sexier do profitable companies become during times like the ones we're in now? Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Eventually the music stops and, and someone oh, yeah. has to survive. So, um, you know, being profitable right now is, is a really nice place to be. And if you want to raise capital, you know, you, you, you have a better ground to stand on for your valuation. Um, if there's companies perhaps that you've been eyeing for acquisition, they're probably be a little bit cheaper now, especially if they had a sizable cash burn. Um, so I think there's opportunities for companies like yours in, in a time like this. Um, I think you could survey the landscape and, and, and do some planning and maybe make some strategic moves now, um, perhaps a lot differently than you would have previously, right? You have, you have time, you've got accomplishments, you've got experience and, and you've got, um, a different, a different platform to stand on now. Yeah. And, and well, we see this, the, these, uh, these opinions and sentiments about different types of business. I remember like right before COVID, I had a conversation with an unnamed person that was like a big player. Mm -hmm. I hate ed tech. Ed tech's dead. Don't want it. So blah, 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 blah. Then COVID hits, have that talk to that same person. I, lo I love ed tech. And I'm just like, wow. You know, like, I mean, we're talking about a completely different, and, and, you know, you look at, and, and these are Darwinistic cycles. Like you said, the, the music does stop at some points. And, um, you know, like maybe we should talk for a second about how to, how to manage or maintain your company during an yeah. economic downturn as well. Cause, uh, you know, at, at the date of this coming out, we're about five, five, six weeks past SVB's debacle. And here at our recording, the, the moment of recording, we don't know how that's going to work out. So we're not going to talk about that a whole lot. Maybe it goes well, or maybe it doesn't, but it definitely sent at the time, you know, stuff like that sends a lot of shockwaves through. I think a lot of people spent that it's had a very sleepless weekend wondering if they, if their money was about to turn into vapor. And, uh, you know, with that, I think I, I would imagine that a lot of people had that come to Jesus kind of moment where they're like, Oh my God, I might not make payroll next, next week. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of that going around the amount of VC that's come into the marketplace is part of what SVB's problem was. They had these big lumpy deposits just coming in day yeah. after day after day. And all of a sudden they slowed down. And then the people that had the account spent a lot of that money. And next thing you know, the ratios are all out of whack. And next, and then we have a smartphone bank run. Yep. Is essentially yeah. tw Twitter. Thanks for that. Twitter is probably <laughs> what they're saying at SVB, but it's real. Yeah. So easy. Um, you know, if you look at that and we talk about mitigating that a little bit and the thoughts, you know, going through your head, we'll call it last Friday for, for lack of better timing. But, um, if you are that startup and you look around and it's institutional investors and you've got perhaps diverse institutional investors, um, you've got some deep pocketed investors, right? So even if you're the startup and you can't make payroll, do your investors want you to survive and can they make payroll? Um, so I think there are some layers of protection in there. If you didn't have all of your eggs in one basket, um, and if you look, if you look around the table as a kind of well-funded, hopefully Series A company, and you look at your investor base and you realize they've got 
they've got additional capital and they've got friends, which is really helpful. But on the on the other side of it, you've got the early startups, the early, early, early companies right right now who are looking to survive. So what what can they do? And I see a lot of them in the convertible note um, stage here at FML. And I've seen companies raise additional capital in a convertible note. So they raised another note. They've closed out their first note. Maybe they've raised a million and a half. Um, they haven't accomplished the milestones. They don't have the revenue. And so they want to extend that valuation timing. Uh, so they'll raise another convertible note. And that's if you have supportive investors and, and people around the table who see the light at the end of the tunnel for you, but that, that could also be a bit generous. Um, I've seen companies just really, really slow down. So cut their burn uh, significantly, um, apply for additional grant money. Um, I've seen uh, startups look to perhaps do a reverse merger with a public company that has cash. Um, I've seen them look to be acquired, acquired, you know, for equity and earnouts. So in this in this timing, maybe not cash up front. Or if it is cash, um, is that purchase price much lower than it would have been um, previously? And so, you know, depending on the business and uh, and <laughs> the future prospects, right, and performance. Um, those are some of the things I've seen happening real time. Well, I think if you're raising capital as well, you know, you mentioned companies that might not have hit milestones or maybe don't have the traction they needed. But if you are on the opposite side of that, it's a really good time to highlight that. And I think one of the things that started happening in uh, late 2021 and then through 2022 is, you know, you look at the, the valuation, got, they ran wild on a lot yeah. of stuff. I mean, I'm sitting there looking at some of these valuations. It's like every day there was a new unicorn company and I'm sitting here going, what? Like how, <laughs> you know, I mean, it was, it was pretty crazy. I mean, the, the valuations were insane. And, um, you know, I, I was like, how oh, this is going to come back down to earth in a bad way. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of people in, in 2023 and beyond that are going to be raising capital at a much lower valuation than they got before. Yeah, and, and that's have, another thing. It's like if yeah. that's your reality, you got to accept it on some levels. And you know, I, I like yeah. companies are trying to delay that reality, right? If they can, yeah. and so there's some extension rounds going on, so they they don't fully yeah. have to do that down round quite yet. But you're right, 2023 and beyond, uh, those are certainly going to shake out. But if you if you have traction or the timing's right for what you do, so you look okay. I'll go back. I'll use full scale and as an example. So we're we're a top provider of of offshore development services. You know, highly vetted, highly experienced Inc. Five thousand company, three hundred employees plus. And people ask me that I've been asking me for the last nine months. They're like, well, is a recession bad for you? Probably not, because. Well, first off, when you see, because people see these headlines and they're like, oh, Facebook lays off 10,000 people. Those aren't engineers. Yeah. They're not. They're really not. Because there's 300,000 open IT jobs in the US. And sure, some of them may be engineers, but very few likely are in, in that regard. So, but, but also, what a, you don't get rid of the most affordable people. In, in a lot of these cases. And so that hasn't really affected us. And, and, and in fact, 
we've in the you know quarter over quarter over quarter i mean our leads have almost doubled since mid 2022 now some of that is just our approach to marketing but a lot of it is people seeking more affordable solutions when cash is flowing freely and it's just like you're sitting on this embarrassment of riches it's easy as an entrepreneur to turn your focus to other things because you also get people in your ear. And I think that's one of the things you want to maybe be aware of it, whether it's a downturn or not, who's in your ear, who's listening, who's saying stuff to you. Cause man, if you talk to a VC, you could, you can talk to a venture capitalist. And by the end of that conversation, you can be convinced that three plus four equals fish. You know, like it doesn't always make sense. Fail fast, spend the money, grow, 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 grow. And, you know, the thing is, though, it's like you do need to operate with a sense of where's that next deposit coming from, if that's the case. So, you know, know, be aware of of what you're what you're what advice you're taking and what your path is. And I think I've really learned that there's a, a definite. Well, I sleep a lot. So people say, what's the definition of financial success? Financial success is when you have enough money that you're not worried about money. And the same thing that exists in your business. And maybe that could be a credit line. That could be cash on hand. It could be extended rounds, as you mentioned, or something. But knowing that you're just not going to have things blow up. Now, with that, you got to be careful as well. So you remember when when COVID first hit, um, you know, the very first thing when that kind of became a reality. I called our COO and I was like, should we max our credit lines? And, and I, we didn't, um, cause we didn't feel that we needed to, but you saw like all these institutions just cutting off credit. Yep. So things can change in the blink of an eye. And I think that, that being able to raise capital during a downturn could also be easier if you're able to show that you understand some contingencies and different paths that could exist for your business. Absolutely. Being, being that CEO who has a handle on all aspects of the business is so important. And I think, um, you know, the, the profit, profitability aspect and really having a handle on that and in growing and expanding uh, in a really responsible way and, having a credit line or, or knowing what your receivables are and how quickly um, they get paid and, and just having that handle on the business, especially in a time like this, or even in a time like the beginning of COVID, um, it's absolutely important. And also during COVID, when credit did become available, grabbing at that, because you just didn't know when that vaccine was coming out. You didn't know when, when things were going to change and they almost changed you know, on a dime at the end of 2021, it was, it was pretty quick that things kind of took off again in terms of interest rates and, and lack of avail- availability. Um, and, and then you saw, uh, you know, the capital markets start to change in 22. It took a little while, but it all started to happen, right? Well, the, and here's the thing is that money is still there. It's, it's in these funds. They have not been allocating it, but I will just tell you the dirty truth about rich people. They're still freaking rich. Yep. And you look at the, so here's the thing is, and, and I've become a bit of a conduit to things in this startup, this podcast is a reason for that. I just say things, connections, introductions, I don't know, man, I've hosted 750 of these things myself. I know a bunch of people at this point, but, um, you know, the, the thing is, is the stock market returns are crap right now. 
uh, and a lot, and there's a lot of family offices and a lot of things that don't, that aren't the traditional fund, like this charter bound fund. And so part of where I'm going with this is like targeting the right investors and the right connections and building the right relationships during times like these are advantageous. So you think you're like, okay, well, Matt, that's great. You know, a bunch of people with family offices. How do I find them? Uh, just assume that the wealthiest people in your region have or are involved in some kind of family office because they probably are. And, you know, these are these are clearer, cleaner paths to investors in many regards, like a family office. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, a family office is is essentially a wealthy family or a collection of them or not a not a traditional venture fund like you're used to, but they have an investment pool that they have put off to the side. They're usually industry agnostic, meaning they're looking for good companies, often ones that can complement the mega enterprises that already made them rich. And if you can, you'll find that a lot of these places are willing and interested in making investments that aren't the traditional route to venture capital. So, and a lot of them, like, I know a lot of people that have received family office investments and they didn't like the diligence process was basically like the people that, that are the main contributors to the fund met with the founder. They're like, we freaking love these, this guy or this gal, we feel great about it. And then the money comes pouring in. And then sometimes it can be a long, I don't know, it's going to be different. It's not very predictable, but there's, there's money out there, people. And, and during the downturn, I'm telling you, a lot of these family offices are looking for alternate investments that aren't stock market related, because how's that looking if you put your money in a year ago? Yeah, yeah. It's, family offices are certainly a whole category of investors, right? They, they yeah. invest in venture capital and private equity funds. They invest uh, alongside those funds and companies. And they invest directly in companies. And so you know, the thing that's hard to figure out is who's who where, right? So, so finding the access to that capital and, and talking with the decision maker and getting in the door. Um, but you're right. A lot of times the due diligence process, I wouldn't say it's lighter. It might be different and less institutional. It could be very, very institutional. Um, you've got investment teams at some family offices that rival institutional investors. Um, but you know, the, the process may be shorter. The investment committee may not take as long and getting that capital in could be attractive, but it is finding that right path. And when you talk about dry powder, what I think is also interesting, uh, again, more on the institutional side is that the funds perhaps with some of the decades of experience that we have may have seen this coming. And so they have kept uh, greater reserves for their portfolio companies that they can access because they have seen this before. And so those funds, interestingly, may be back to market more quickly um, because of the amount held in reserve. They may have hit their invested committed amount for the, the current fund, um, but they've got reserves. And then they'll come back to market and raise additional capital and from the same set of institutional investors, but kind of one step removed from the companies, right? And then those funds will go out and invest um, in companies. So, so does that take a little longer? Is the bar a little higher for those new company investments? Is the path to exit diligence still a little bit harder? Perhaps, right? So that three to five year hold, um, there's, there's a lot of pressure on, is it really a three to five year hold? 
Yeah, and I and and a lot of the the family office people I've spoken to don't like they don't feel as bound to that. You know, they're like, uh, you know, I've I've had conversations at my own business with different family offices and funds that were more interested in being a partner, meaning like providing value and input, not just a check, like true smart money kind of relationships and. Uh, with that, you know, they'll, I think everyone, when they talk about, you talk to a founder about VC or investors and they're like, I don't want to lose control of stuff. Uh, those family offices don't want to be the operator of the business. Trust me. They, they right. really don't. That's not, that's not what they're looking for. And a lot of those, you mentioned like the, the people that exist in some of those places, like, I don't know, I talked to one place that had like 40 Ivy League MBAs in their in their office. I mean, this, you know, people are like, "Well, are you worried about?" I'm not worried about shit on that one. Like, you get you're going to give me three dozen Ivy League MBAs. I'm willing to bet that at a minimum they can do some stuff that I don't. Because so you can you listen to the to the brain trust there, and and yeah. you know, if it's if it's a board member, it's someone who has a passion for your business and and wants to be helpful. Yeah. Um, that's really attractive. Yeah. And it's uh, so, okay. So still along the lines of, you know, I think that we can explore the alternate side of things. Uh, you know, I, I, according to my notes, you may have some commentary about crowdfunding or some other alternate op- uh, options for, for raising capital. Like what, what kind of suggestions or input do you have there? Yeah, sure. There's, there's plenty of crowdfunding platforms out there today and companies have been, which successful. wasn't possible 10 years ago. Not at all. Not at all. Um, so that's super interesting. Um, you know, founders tend to go at that on their own. They don't necessarily need FML to, to get that done. But some of the companies I've worked with have have gone that route. Um, that That's certainly an option today, which you're right, did not exist 10 years ago. And there's there's more now than there were five years ago, right? There's so many platforms available. So, you know, I think the, the government grant side of things is often overlooked. It's usually not the like huge chunk of cash that that a lot of people are looking for. But if you're in the early stages, man, there is a lot of there are a lot of 25, 50 and 100K kind of checks flowing and then become smart and clever with that because there's OK. So here in Kansas City, if you can get a hundred thousand dollar investment, especially from an institutional, a true like a fund, I could I can walk you through immediately turning that into 300 K because there's things that match. There's like fun. There's funds and organizations and things that can only trigger when they have something to match with. So if you understand what that is, you can turn a relative, what, well, a hundred, there's some people listening, they're going, dude, if I had a hundred thousand dollars, I'd be off and running. Well, for a lot of companies, that's not a whole lot, regardless of where you're at. If you can take that amount and multiply it times three. So how do you do that? Well, you got to have an understanding of the landscape and what you're working with. Uh, government grants are not going to come quickly. Um, and, but at the same time, there might be some of you that have, okay, so I'm a white dude in Kansas, um, which it is not a strong position to stand on when applying for some government grants right now. Cause there's a lot, cause I'm in a pool, uh, I'm in a demographic pool that's pretty populated for startup and tech founders. Now, if you're a female minority fi- founder, uh, ex 
a member of the military, Native American, uh, disabled, any of that, like they're like, you're going to be in a different grouping. And, and here's the thing, like, okay, I don't even want to discuss like the opinions about that process. It's just a reality for some people. So find the levers that line up with who you are and what your identity is. And if you have multiple, then uh, you're going to, you might be in a very advantageous position to collect grants. Now this is non-dilutive capital, like every time. Now the follow-up cash might not be, but the grants that come in, like here in Kansas city, there's uh, launch KC and we work with startup hustle and full scale work with them to just do a variety of different things, but they give out, um, they'll give out a million dollars of $50,000 checks this year to start. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that non-dilutive funding is amazing. Um, and actually FML will help, uh, with state and local, um, grants. And so if you've got, and I'm out of my league here on tax, so just contact our tax folks, but, um, there's payroll tax credits, there's technology credits, there's innovation credits. There are, a lot of ways. ERC credits right now, yeah. all kinds of stuff. Yeah. There are ways to extend your cash yep. runway just by hiring the right providers, right? And so if you've got a service provider who could help you with that, or even reduce your tax exposure if you've got tax on, on property, but it's exempt for some reason. And so being smart about hiring the right advisors, but in terms of multiplying your capital and accessing pockets of capital, Right. So here in Connecticut, we have Connecticut Innovations. Um, they'll take a look at your company and you may fit into one of many buckets and they'll provide capital. It's, it's not necessarily grants, but, um, you know, once you've got that kind of stamp of approval, raising capital from other adjacent groups may be a lot easier. Right. You could raise capital from the angel investor groups here in Connecticut. You could branch off to New York and Massachusetts as well because they know each other. And so you get that first hundred in and, and maybe your next hundred comes a little bit more quickly. Um, so there's definitely that access to capital and that kind of multiplier effect once you've got some capital in the door. Um, and then on the different pockets of capital, when I started in this business, just, just being a woman was, was unique, right? And today, and there weren't special pockets of capital and there may have been very few. I started in... Um, and tell you this earlier, but I started uh, in private equity secondaries, which was a very niche market back when I started in 1997. Um, and what we did was we acquired interests in funds across the private equity and venture capital landscape. In doing that, I noticed there was very few female or diverse founders. Um, today, there are certainly pockets of capital for female and diverse founders, emerging managers, um, and accessing those pockets of capital can be very, very valuable because they want to put money to work uh, with folks like you and, and folks who either have a track record or can be successful and may not have risen to the top of the other pool, right? You just wouldn't have gotten noticed. And today, I think there's so many more ways to get, to get heard and get noticed and get capital, which is the goal. Well, I think that's one of the things that that when you look at like the government grants and these accelerator or economic development credits, they're a lot less picky about the industry that you're in. Like, you know, here we just uh, 
earlier in 2023, Launch KC did social ventures. And these are companies that quite honestly would have a very difficult time in front of a lot of VCs because they're, they're, they're startups that attack, that tackle social issues. And some of those um, aren't as beautifully monetizable as other kinds of businesses. But with that, if they can get moving, get some traction. Now, I think that times like when things slow down, I also think it's a good time to, you know, you mentioned being involved in this or being involved in that. It's time to collect badges right now, but your boy scout and girl scout badges should are, are, it's time to start picking them up. And these are the, you look, that's the thing. And I was talking to, I recorded a, a show earlier today and the guy was telling me, he said, yeah, we, I had a very tough time uh, raising my first amount of money. And then I got accepted to Y Combinator and everybody wanted to give me money. And that's a badge. It's the same thing. Like, so like, here's the thing is <sighs> investors don't much like journalists often don't want to go do the work. They want it wrapped up with a bow and someone else did your vetting. They did, they assessed you as being, I don't know, there's a lot of stuff out there. And if you don't have cred, like if you're not known and you haven't done it before or something like that, I think it is definitely beneficial to try to get, okay, so like what, what I mean by cred? All right, I've hosted this podcast for five years. I'm the founder of an Inc. 5000 company. I've written three books. I've done a lot of different things that make it easy to establish my credibility to an investor, right? Now, is all that stuff directly related to the business that I might be wanting to fund? No, but it shows a track record of completion and doing things and acknowledgement and things like that. And that's a good start. So it's a good time to build that stuff up. So work on your profile. Like what happens when you Google you? Like try it, Google yourself. I think everybody's Googled themselves, but how do you look? Cause that's the thing. No one knows who you are yet. So if they Google you or they Google your company, what comes up? And, you know, I spent years working on that profile myself because there's a level of importance to that when it comes to establishing credit. It's funny. I realized that if you put my name in, it says Matt DeCourcy. And then the next thing that Google populates is Matt DeCourcy net worth. So, <laughs> so you guys are out there listening to this show and wondering what my net worth is. Good luck finding it online because... Yeah, I just thought that was odd. And then it says Matt DeCourcy author. I think Matt DeCourcy startup hustle. Um, But with that, I'd rather be the full scale guy because that's my main enterprise. But yeah, so that accumulation of of badges and creds, a good thing. And yeah, I I don't think you can have enough of that on some days. Well, it shouldn't be what you remember. You're in business to eventually make a profit, make a difference, build something bigger than you. So you can't always just be about getting into the next accelerator, the next accelerator, but none of that no, it's stuff. That, Matt, it's that track record. It's yeah. the credibility. It's building for the long term. All of those things matter. And uh, with your Google 101, I think you're you're right on it, right? Right, right. And well, that's the thing too. And you might actually be a lot more quote Google worthy than you think. And if you Google my name, you'll see I have the little side panel. I, well, yeah, but the, and Julie's giving me a thumbs up on the video, but here's the thing. I had to actually like claim and click that. Like it took 10 minutes, if that, like they want, like there's a little process with that. I had to send a picture, I had to verify that it was me, 
you know, it's kind of like the blue check mark before you could buy it on Twitter. But, you know, so some of that is, but, but that stuff, like assume that people are going to Google you because I don't know, you don't, no one knows everybody all the time, but these are the things that just add a little layer of credibility. It's funny. I, I know some people, so I worked in the music industry for 10 years. So I'll, I'll talk about my Google knowledge panel on the side. And then I talk to my rock star friends and they're like, dude, you've only got like two of them. I've got like 12. I'm like, all right, Mr. Wikipedia. That's great. But yeah, so I don't know, a podcast, write some articles, do something like, you know, these are the things that, that you can stack start with up LinkedIn, Matt, right. You can start but, with LinkedIn, make sure that's oh, yeah. all, make yeah. sure that's all buttoned up. And, uh, you know, you also want to make sure your pitch book is pretty well organized. Those mm-hmm. guys are pretty easy to reach out to, but you're right. It's, it's kind of buttoning up the, the big picture. You know, one, one thing that I, I want to encourage people that feel comfortable doing this, make a pitch video. Like there's, you know, I, we talked about the simplification of a deck and, and all these things. Like, do you have a one pager? Cause I'm not going to read your deck. I really don't. I don't read it. I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't usually read the deck. Like I want a one pager. And if you don't know what that is, that means the problem, the solution, the ask, meaning like what you're seeking, what you're going to use it for. And then a little bit about the founding team. And, and look, the, you don't win or lose. Well, you can lose in the pitch deck, but you don't win in the pitch deck either. Cause the, the one pager and the pitch deck are there to stimulate and create future conversations. Um, but yeah, so I think a lot like, no, and by the way, no one wants your 60 page business plan on your first contact. No one, literally no one is going to read that on your first outreach. In fact, you sending that is a red flag that you might not know what you're doing. That's right. It is. All right. So we raced through another episode of Startup Hustle here. I should remind everyone that today's episode is brought to you by Fullscale.io. You want to keep those costs down, reach out. We build teams quickly and affordably. Um, Julie, I often end my shows with the founders freestyle, but I today I want to do the funders freestyle. Yeah, little twist in real time here, but you know when I say I always give people an opportunity to make their closing remarks or arguments, but maybe we could do that on the maybe we can step into the world of those funding. We're going to step out of ourselves and we're going to take the investor side of things and and like what are you looking for as an investor right now? Excellent question. So. I would look- that's a hard curveball on a live <laughs> recording, but you know, okay. it gets, it'll get the best responses. I have yeah, to hit it. So, too, um, I will put myself in perhaps the, the shoes of a, a fund, a GP of a fund. Okay. And we'll answer it from that perspective. Okay, I'll go family mm-hmm. office. I'll be family or a office. Family office right. Sure. Um, looking, looking at deal flow, right? So, Hey, maybe it's an entrepreneur I've invested in before who I know and I find really interesting, who has established a business um, and is raising capital today. And I can diligence that business. And I know, I at least know the founder. I know that they've exited previously. That that may be a very interesting due diligence process and, and someone I want to invest with. Um, maybe I'm looking at new companies that, uh, 
are very close to cash flow positive, or maybe they're very close to a data point or a milestone that's going to make them more valuable, and they just need a little more capital um, during this during this extended runway time. That that could be very attractive. Um, it could be a company I looked at six months ago or a year ago that's a little less expensive today uh, for various reasons, and and that could come to the top of my pipeline. But I think there's three examples of, of companies that may be attractive investments today. Um, and, and what type of investment is that? You know, is it is it a convertible note? Is it equity? Kind of depends what's what what the status of the company is. So in our first ever funders freestyle, I will take the I'll I'll assume the position of a family office. I too am looking to strengthen the investment profile of companies I've already put money into. Because why not? Right. Yeah. I've got the capital. Um, I'm I'm looking for companies that, as you mentioned, are either on the cusp of profitability or uh, perhaps may I may be able to retire debt, um, meaning like old convertible notes or just something that could possibly flex them into a cash flow positive um, environment. I'm also looking at, so during times like this, we didn't talk about this. You're going to hear about free cash flow um, companies that, and that's back to those, those initial things, like sometimes cleaning up that debt profile or different things that could exist. Simple changes can sometimes make profound results. Um, you know, so where can I, where can I put my money in for that? And then I think the third thing is if I'm, if I'm a family office funder, I'm looking for value. You know, like the, we talked about the dry powder. Uh, so you hear the, the the shittiest investment advice ever. Well, you need to buy low and sell high. Thanks, Einstein. How do I do that? Well, the reason, the way you certainly do it is you can't have all of your money in when it's high and then it drops down. So you will run into some family offices that may feel restricted in their ability to free up capital and make an investment because they don't want to sell things for a huge loss unless that, but maybe that's also a tax advantage for them in some regards, who knows? But, but with that, if you have the cash on hand and a lot of these companies and investors do, cause they're waiting for the dip. You're all the crypto people buy the dip, buy the dip. Well, the dip exists in stock markets. Like yesterday, my regional bank went down 40% at the opening of the bell, and it was up 20% by the end of the day. That is a day trader's freaking dream. You know, so with that, there's value hunters and people like that. And I see someone that, that I'll make sure to pull that video file out. I just saw someone crawl in your background and uh, remove a puppy. We've had you know, puppy. When, when school is out, uh, you just don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> Hey, we, you know, we say we publish warts and all here on Start Apostles, so that's okay. But, you know, like, you know, with that, the, uh, you know, you talk about that, there's value. There's, there's the dog. There we go. Um, I don't know if you saw that. Someone just reached up and held the dog over the, over the banister. So thank you. But yeah, so, so much of, of, you know, like, look, if you're okay with maybe a lower value, offer that flexibility to someone that wants to fund it. Hey, you know, I, I think that so many people and so many founders are caught up in this paper fantasy of what their company is worth. You know, I think that 
it I learned this lesson when I was six because I was collecting baseball cards and this is way old. And I'd be like, this one's worth $5, dad. And he'd be like, do you have someone to give you $5 for it right now? I'd say no. And he'd say, well, it's not worth anything. So, you know, your shares, your company, your valuation is worth whatever price the market sets. And there's not a whole lot you have to do about that. Uh, well, you could go lower, <laughs> but you can't just like decide that. Yeah. I talk to people that have a company that doesn't even have revenue and they're like, yeah, we're worth, $8 million. I'm like, where, <laughs> where, you know, After and, and, spending 18 years in the secondary market, I certainly saw portfolios of VC and private equity trade, you know, below that reported value. Why? Because it's not liquid. Because yeah. no one else is going to give you liquidity. And so what yep. is it worth to a potential buyer? And do yeah. you have a set of potential buyers? And that's a whole nother podcast, but is there competition for your for your money and capital here? But that's well, maybe that's one thing we didn't mention is go out. It's hard to have an auction with one better. Absolutely. So go out and find. I, I tell people that a lot. Actually, I'm surprised I didn't bring that up. And you know, I, I actually want to. I'll take 20 seconds to expand on that. Find multiple people that are interested. It can drive your price up. If you only have one better, the price is the price. Yep. So. You can negotiate that a little bit, but until there's that that fear of missing out or a finite nature to what you're selling, uh, you got to kind of work that out. Well, Julie, thanks for joining me. If you're interested in learning more about what FML CPAs does, there's a link for that in the show notes. It sounds like you guys have a lot of experience and great advice to offer. So just scroll on down to the show notes and click that link. Julie, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Matt. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. <laughs>